And now, once again, live from Algiers Podcast Recording Studios, it's Tom Douglas and Just Saying. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Announcer. Man, that guy sounds familiar, don't he? Anyway, today's episode, uh, Jazz Fest is supposed to be this weekend, and, uh, and as they plan old repeats on WWOZ and listening to it, they're coming up with a little history about Jazz Fest and different things. So I'm going to set the record straight right now, talk about the history, about the, about the flags. The flags are, are barriers or sticks that hold up different flags or emblems that single where a person is. And I'm going to tell you today how that came about. And to set that up, I'm going to talk about Dr. Douglas and Doc Watson and their role in this play. So first, uh, to set this up, I, uh, I'm going to talk about Dr. Douglas. Dr. Douglas DVM, Dr. Frank J. Douglas DVM, was my father, doctor of veterinary medicine. And he's a large animal doctor, but basically he lived for the racehorse, the thoroughbreds in Louisiana. His father, uh, Dr. Frank Douglas Sr., started the Louisiana Breeders Association way back when, and, and my father continued his work and is responsible for getting the Louisiana Breeders Association up and running, basically through the legislation, but getting them to pass some bills that designated certain races have to be state-bred races just for Louisiana breed, breed, breeds. And this helped uh, um, breeds get popular, Louisiana breeds get popular and, and started it out. So he was a veterinarian, and he was a state vet. So a state vet, the racetracks had two veterinarians, one track vet, one state vet. The track vet is in charge of making sure that the thoroughbred is healthy enough to run the race. So basically, he would be at the starting gate every race day and look at the horses and make sure they were competitive and wasn't hurting. The state vet, which my father was since John McKithen was governor, it's, in, it's a governor-appointed position, the state vet basically was in charge of the test barn. Um, what the test barn is, after every race, the winner of that race and another horse drawn random will have to be taken to the test barn. And the test barn was on the back stretch. Um, and when you get to the test barn, the uh, trainers and his staff or the groom or whatnot would bathe the horse and give him over to somebody working in the test barn. Somebody working in the test barn would take the horse and we'd have to walk them around inside in the ring and give the horse water. And a little tidbit here, to give the horse water, he couldn't let him drink all he wanted right away. So you wash the horse's throat. Once you got three swallows in, pull his head out the bucket, and you walked him around two more times, and you let him fill up that way. So after about a half an hour, you would try and bring him into a stall and collect a urine sample. Yes, collect a urine sample which they used to test to see if he was on any drugs. Uh, the urine sample, uh, my brother Dan Douglas is a year older than me, worked in test barn. My father got him a job in test barn left yet, like he was doing him a favor. So a horse, bring the horse in the stall, and he starts stretching. When he stretches, he, he wants to urinate, and you had this pole. At the end of this pole was like a V-shaped catcher, and then that was like a Ziploc, and when the horse would urinate, you would catch his urine. 
bring it into the office. They would pour half of it out into uh, um, another Ziploc, and this was called a split. And they would take one, send it off to the lab, be tested. The other split, they would put in liquid nitrogen to freeze it. And my dad came up with that idea about the liquid nitrogen. It looked like a big milk container, you know, silver milk containers they used to used to see. And you take and attach it to a, a, a tong, hold it in that liquid nitrogen just for a few seconds. It freezes, label it, and they put it in the freezer for storage. In case the split came back negative or positive, if somebody wanted to dispute it, they had the split labeled and it was sent that to the lab to confirm the diagnosis of the original split. So that's what he did in the test board. So he worked on the backside of the racetrack. Now, since we're talking about my father, he lived for the thoroughbreds. He loved the, the, the fairgrounds racetrack, which is where the Jazz Fest is held. And it's got all got to tie in. But one thing I want to bring up about my father is um, a very proud man, a very highly intelligent man, and always looking, like I said, he, he developed a lot of the test palm procedures that are still being used today. He had a falling out with the racing commission because um, one day he's working at Test Barn, and this doesn't have nothing to do with the Jazz Fest, but I'm going to tell it anyway because I want people to know. He worked in the Test Barn. Okay, like I said, they had a track vet. So one day a horse tested positive. They go look for the split because the trainer and the owner wanted to test the split to make sure the split was missing. So my father's in charge of test born. They're looking at him, says, what happened to the split? Well, as the story goes, uh, my mother told me the story, and then I approached my dad about it because I, I worked. I was very interested in thoroughbred industry, and I worked a couple years in the backstretch. The split, a horse in question, happened to be owned by this Joseph P. Darnack, which also happened to own the track. And it split disappeared. And my ex, my father, body, he told me it was he pretty sure who did it was the foreman of the Arnox stables. And he says it probably happened one day the track vet couldn't make it, so my father was pulling double duty, meaning he's working test born. And then when it would go to the starting gate, he would go to the start date gate to cover for the doctor, veterinarian who couldn't make it that day, which what really happened, they usually get a vet to take your place, but he couldn't, I guess, at the last minute. And they, they'd done it more than once. And so sometimes he had to drive to the front when the starting gate was over a mile. The starting gate at six furlongs started right there by the test barn. So all he did was walk out the test barn and stand by the starting gate. So he feels that that day somebody went in and took the split. The racing commission, after looking at all this, Wanted my father to take the fall for it. They said, you're responsible, you got to be there. And he goes, well, says, everybody knows what happened to the split, you know, and I'm not taking a fall for it because, you know, y'all approved me doing what I did that day. Everybody knew what was going on. And he refused to take the fall. And so, so well, then you got to retire. So that's when he retired and why he retired. Now, he was pretty close to retirement anyway, if not past it. But anyway... That story, one of the stories about my father, and it's going to play into this Jazz Fest feature I got. Now, let's talk about festing. So this is back 
oh, back when uh, we 20-somethings and me and my buddies, you know, we would go to all the festivals, the Gonzales, Gemini Fest, uh, every festival we would go. Now, we had, there was five of us in our, our little group, and um, the first person in that group, Keith and Jan Vincent, was the first to get married, okay? So they were the first to have a kid before we even had any kids. So they were also the first to have a red flyer wagon, okay? So we put that red flyer wagon to good use. Whenever we go to one of these festivals, like in Gonzales, Jambalaya Fest, Bro Bridge, Crawfish Fest, we take that red flyer wagon, throw an ice chest in it, throw our beer in there, and pull that wagon behind us and walk around and drink out that ice chest. This is uh, way back when now, and the festivals didn't like this too much because they weren't selling us anything. Interesting story. So one year we, we go to Bro Bridge. Bro Bridge is about two hours from New Orleans. It's, it, you go west from New Orleans, you hit Baton Rouge in about an hour, and about another hour you hit Bro Bridge all on I-10. So we said, let's go to uh, the Crawfish Festival. It's one of the better ones, especially at that time. So we stopped in Baton Rouge and pick up my brother Ed and his, I don't know, 10 of us. We go to Broke Bridge, we park in front of this little Cajun bar and we throw the ice chest in the Red Flyer wagon. We go walking around the, the grounds and, and, and they had, and it's like a carnival. So you got all these different games that are trying to rip you off, you know, through the door at the balloon. And they're getting away these stuffed dolls. Well, this interesting story about this one, as I sidetrack, is uh, we're walking around the grounds and they, they come up to this one booth. They got all these stuffed animals on the back wall. And then they got these two big, huge, like four and a half foot bears sitting on a counter trying to entice you in. And it was one of those where you throw the ball and you knock the milk bottles over. You know, and one of the milk bottles is weighted and it's very hard to do. So the barker, whatever he is, gets up there. Come on, come on, guys, try this. And he takes a bottle and throws it and knocks it over. Well, one of my buds, Rooster, played ball in high school and in college. And he was left-handed. That matters. So he goes, oh, I'll try it. And so we all standing around him. He gets three balls, boop, bloop, bloop, bloop. Knocks all three stacks over, one throw each time. We all yelling and screaming, and the guy turns around and points to the back wall. He goes, oh, you can pick whatever. My brother, Ed, who's pretty big, he grabs that big stuffed bear. says, we take this one. And the guy goes, whoa. And he goes, when we look at him, me and my brother, Ed, you know, he says, we taking this one. He goes, I guess you will. And we took that bear and put him on top of the ice chest and walked around the grounds with it, and everybody kept, we kept getting stopped. Where you get the bear? Where you get the bear? And I said, what's his name? says, A bear. You know, he's a cool ass. So anyway, he said, let's go. So we go back, and we park in front of this bar, and somebody had parked and blocked us and somebody else in. So I said, let's just go in the bar. And boy, this bar was your typical Cajun bar. It was a standalone building, raised building. You walk in, the, the bar was all wood, and it was long across the, the width of the, uh, the building, to your left was a stage, Isaiah Copeland was kicking it. 
the whole the wood floors was this old wood timber there and and it was just so this is it so we take the bear sit him on a bar stool and we ordering beers and drinking and dancing and uh all the old coonasses are dancing with our girlfriends and our wives you know they, they just love that they got some young young stuff in there and they dancing with them and uh the best part is Bartender walks up to us while we stand by that bear by the bar and he goes, Hey man, the guy at the end of the bar wants to buy the bear and all his friends a beer. Says, You got it. And that went on three, four times that happened. And we said, We got to get out of here. And we walk out there and somebody's still blocking us in. So the five or six of us got on the back end of that car, picked it up, turned it around so we could get out. And we went to Landry's uh, Seafood, which is one of the best, well, back then, I guess it still is. They wouldn't let us bring A-Bear in there. So, that was Festin. Which brings us to Jazz Fest. Now, back then, Jazz Fest was uh, not even 10 years old, I don't think, by then. Maybe, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But anyway... My father, like I said, worked for the track. And the backside, uh, there's a street that runs through, through the backside. It's called Belfort Street. Now, that runs all the way. You turn off Gentilly. Gentilly runs the side of the track. And that's Gentilly entrance, if you're familiar with that. It goes in. There's one side street. There's two side streets. One's a Belfort. I think the other one's Solomon. And if you, go, you can't get in on Belfort side because they had a gate. If you turn on Belfort, about a half a block... The houses stopped, and there was a big fence that's where the backstretch started. And the backstretch was where the barns and the stables were that kept all the horses that ran there. Now, they're all gone now because it's like three weeks after the fairgrounds closed. But my father, since he was the track vet, he had a parking pass on his car because they didn't let a lot of cars go back there because uh, they always had horses walking around and, and, and people uh, riders on ho- exercise riders on the horses walking back to the stables and back foot. So they limited the, the amount of cars back there, like veterinarians could have a car. Um, you know, in the afternoon, they're a little bit more lax because there wasn't as much activity going on. So he heard us about, we used to go to the Jazz Fest every last Sunday. We'd close out the Jazz Fest. So about two, three years straight, we'd meet up and go to the Jazz Fest on the last Sunday of Jazz Fest. And this particular year, well, one year he goes, well, I can get y'all back there if y'all want to park back there. And he got us a, a backstretch parking that goes on your car, okay? Now, so we tell everybody, he says, we got parking. This parking always has been an issue because it's right in the middle of a neighborhood, the fairgrounds. And we, um, hold on a second. So we said, okay. Everybody goes, going to Jazz Fest? Yes, yeah, so we got parking this time. Great. So we said, meet at Pat Gillen's, which is the bar we went to, which is a bar. Believe me, it's not there anymore, but it was a, been a metery bar forever and ever and ever. And we used to meet there and hang up there because it's about the cheapest place to drink in the city. And it was in our neighborhood where we grew up. So I said, everybody, Sunday... Whoever wants to go, meet us at Gillen's. We're leaving like at 1230. 
If you're not there, meet us at the flagpole on the fairgrounds at 1 o'clock. And we bring in the, uh, the red flyer wagon and the ice chest. So we get to Gillen's. There's two carloads of people there once you get in on this backstretch parking. So I go, you know, pile in. So they piled in. We didn't still have enough, so we took two cars. I told the other cars, just follow us right behind us. So we pull in Belford Street and walk up there, and there's the security guy, which was the same security guy who worked there doing the fairgrounds. And he's holding his hands up. And I said, man, I got a, a back pass, a parking pass for the back stretch. He goes, oh, all right then. I said, look, I gave him a couple bucks. He said, the car behind us lost theirs. They with us, though. He says, all right, go ahead. So we pull in the back stretch. We go down Belfort Street and all the barns, which are empty. Now, back then, we go in and they go, where are we going to park? I said, let's go. I'm going to go to the Gap. The Gap is... On the, on the racetrack, they got a big page fence that goes all the way around the racetrack so nobody can get in there. But there's what they call a gap. It's right in the middle of the backstretch. When horses go work out or exercise, they all go through the gap. It's a big double fence. And they all pass through there. That's where the clocker stand is. The clocker is the guy who times uh, horses when they work out. So let's, let's go check the gap out. So we pull in the gaps open. So we go and people are parking on the dirt track back then. All right? That's how small it was back then. So we parked on the dirt track, like if you've been to the Jazz Fest, if you see the Acro stage, directly all the way across the infield, and you hit the track again, that's where the gap is, and that's where we parked. So with two cars we put up, we parked right there, get the ice chest out, get the red flyer wagon out, load our beer up, and this is back when Jazz Fest had Schlitz beer. Okay, and I think the deal was back then is um, the fairgrounds got all the beer sales. I think that's how they got paid. Uh, the deal was when it first started. I don't know how it works now. I, I think I'm sure it's more than that now. But so anyway, we would walk around that ice chest and we go to the flagpole at one o'clock. Now we tell everybody to meet us at the flagpole, thinking that the flagpole's got to be the tallest structure there. Well, this flagpole is no. Might be 15 feet tall. So we're going, oh, man. Ain't like you can look up and see the flagpole. So I said, let's wait 20 minutes. A couple people showed up all bitching about the flagpole. This flagpole, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't realize the flagpole was so small. But And you had to ask people where it was. And, you know, there was no cubes back there. No newspaper telling you what was, uh, you know, breakdown of it. So I said, all right, let's go. So we started walking around, and we would meet people. And they said, man, what a great idea. Can we throw some beer in there and come with y'all and hang out with y'all? I said, yeah. So the crowd would grow and grow. And we basically, um, you know, people, one guy says, man, we didn't even know him. He says, man, if I buy a case of beer, can I hang out with you guys? He says, yeah. So I ordered a case of Schlitz, threw it in the ice chest. Paid a couple extra bucks for more ice and kept walking around. Well, it got to be an issue in that some people go, well, where y'all going? Where you going to be? I got to go to the bathroom. I want to go listen to this band. I want to go get something to eat. And it got to be a pain. Nobody wanted to make decisions. And I said, you know what? I got an idea. So we went back to the flagpole. And at the flagpole, they had this guy 
Don't ask me why, but he was selling helium balloons. He was selling helium balloons on a string. So I told the guy, I said, look, I want two helium balloons with extra long string. I said, what do you mean extra long? He says, 15 feet. So he gave me those two balloons. I tied them off to the handle of the ice chest. I told everybody, he says, where those balloons are is where we're going to be. The ice chest and us. If you want to go off, go somewhere, come back and look for the balloons. And that's where we'll be. So sure enough, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant idea. And that's how we started. And Doc Watson, I was trying to figure out what year it was, but I do remember Doc and Merle Watson. Doc Watson was a blind, I guess, folk, seemed very popular back then. I wanted to see him. Now, most of my family and buds, I had my family with me, my brothers and sisters, and I mean, like I said, they must have got up to 15, 20 people by the time we were finished halfway through. And everybody went there just to drink and eat till the meters came on to close out the fest, basically. You know, but me, I said, look, Doc Watson had come out with an album called Red Rockin' Chair. This is what I remember. That's why I remember the year. Red Rockin' Chair was an uh, album he had come out with, and he was performing on stage, and uh, I wanted to go hear him. So it was that year that he played the Jazz Fest. That album came out in 1982. So probably 83, 84. And we went to hear uh, Doc Watson. Red rocking chair, and it was crowded back then. And then, uh, and, and, and then I would tell you this part, it's kind of off color, but it's true what happened. So, my brother Frank, brother Frank, brother Dan, brother Ed, sister Jean, Keith, Keith, JoJo, and whoever else came on front was with us. My brother Frank is one who's everybody his friend. So he met this one couple, young couple, and, uh, and they, they started following us around, and they were a little weird, which a lot of people at Jazz Fest were back then. And uh, Frank, who were these people? So I don't know, just met them. Pretty cool, huh? I said, yeah, really cool. So we in the middle of jet, uh, Doc Watson, and his friend, who had a T-shirt and cutoffs on, and she's with her boyfriend or whatever, she's standing there, and she goes, man, I got to go to the bathroom. I said, well, we got the balloons. You can find us because I don't want to leave. I said, well, I, you only got one other option. I don't know what to tell you. Frank goes, yeah, we don't know what to tell you. She, she walks off a couple, a couple of steps, and she didn't make it out the crowd, so to speak. Gross, huh? Yeah. All of a sudden, it was like a tsunami just spread out from around, and she's in the middle standing in her, her urine. Man, everybody goes, let's go. Yep. Let's get out of here. And then the revolt came up because they wanted to pull the balloons down so she couldn't find us again. I said, man, we can't do that to people. We just, I told Frank, says, go tell her to get lost. He says, I ain't going to tell her nothing. I said, so if you see her coming, tell her. She goes, I think she's pretty embarrassed that she left. That was one of the grossest moments we had at Jazz Fest. And I think she was embarrassed and uh, pretty much got out of there. So, that is why you see these long poles with these different flags and emblems on it marking where you, that person is so everybody can find you. It goes all the way back to 1983-84 and those two helium balloons tied on back of that ice chest. And the 
meters. We, the meters would close out, it seemed like, every year. And it was, it was great fun. And that's the story how Doc Douglas, Doc Watson, and Tom Douglas and his crew, or a crew, the crew, started the tradition of Jazz Fest. Thank y'all very much. I hope y'all enjoyed all this. It's the truth. The end, I think. <laughs>